0: I realized that in a very short time that you could affect powerful change in people and that it would last and that they would know how to do it themselves and that they would kind of not need you anymore. And I loved that.
1: coaching life podcast where we peel back the bullcrap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life on this podcast we often talk about people's journeys into coaching and the story of working in a corporate career through some personal transformation and then into coaching is very common and today's guest journey has an unusual starting place Uh, I think is how you pronounce it in Papua New Guinea. And he's gone on to live and experience life in a number of parts of the world, including France, Bangladesh, Australia, uh, the USA, Cambodia, Thailand, um, the Netherlands, and is now based in Barcelona in Spain. And there's many things I love about this guy. A a couple of things I love about him are his passion um, for this profession and his willingness to speak his mind and his compassion for people overall, they're all things that I deeply relate to. And I think that's why we have the, the kind of connection that we do. He now describes himself as a clinical hypnotherapist, personal change consultant, and transformational coach. And you know, he's a pretty damn talented musician as well on top of that, gosh. So I'm happy to call him a friend and a big warm welcome today to Ryan Simba Jenkins. Hello, Ryan.
0: Hi Phil. Thank Hello. you
1: so much for oh, having me here. Been looking forward to this since we since we chatted last year. Um yeah, that middle name in there, you know, Simbai, I think that has some significance, right? To perhaps the start of your journey around Papua New Guinea. So can you give us our uh, give our listeners um uh, perhaps a little introduction um about you and yeah, your journey perhaps starting at Papua New Guinea and, and how you managed to uh, end up in all of those different countries?
0: Sure yeah you know when people see that name Simba they, they often mistake it for Simba like the like the Lion King and assume that um, that uh, you know I was born in Africa or something and um, actually Simba is the area of um, Papua New Guinea where um, my mother, worked um, while, one one of the areas where she worked while as um, capacity as a medical anthropologist for the Papua New Guinean government, um, Medical Research Institute, and and my parents were, um, my parents were, my mother was a medical doctor and anthropologist and a researcher, and my father was a photographer and a musician, very talented musician, Um, who played with uh, Frank Sinatra and wrote music for Jack Bruce and who was um, generally a genius. And and they left the United States in the early 80s to uh, about 80, 1979, 80, to to move to Papua New Guinea for a year. My mother had a contract for a year with the Medical Institute there and, and they ended up uh, staying for fifteen years. Wow! And so um, Simbai is the area of the country in which I was conceived, apparently. <laughs> um, so that's that's the story behind that, and and uh, so and that's my middle name. And when I'm when I'm in Papua New Guinea, um, people call me Simbai. So as a first name, that's how they know me. Um, and um, and so yeah, my, my parents were very sort of forerunners in, in the world of ethnomusicology and um, and research. My mother in 1981 discovered a tribe, an indigenous tribe that was one of these lost tribes. They were um, basically living in the Stone Age out in the middle of the jungle and um, and were dying out and they made contact somehow. And the first people that, uh, w- were part of that first team to build, um, that discovery team, let's say was my mother and, and her, um, her team. And yeah. And that basically began a relationship with, uh, with a, um, with a tribe that was one of the oldest tribes, um, Known to man, and there was a National Geographic documentary, and so on and so forth, and um, BBC as well, and ABC, and lots of um, lots of. It was very special, and I spent a lot of time growing uh, in my in my early years with this indigenous tribe, and um, and then my parents, um, because of work, left. Papua New Guinea and and traveled to, in in their capacity as uh, working for the UN and working for um, different aid organizations to countries such as Bangladesh and uh, and Cambodia um, in order to work in HIV prevention. So my mother basically was a was a. Expert in human behavior and and um, especially human sexuality, and um, that was her new career path. And so that was one of the reasons that I that I traveled so many so many countries so early on.
1: And what what age were you when this was all going on? Then, right? So
0: I lived in Papua New Guinea until I was about. Uh, 12 or 13 so big formative years of my life were spent in in Papua New Guinea I did live in France for a period of uh, about five months um, when I was about four or five and um, and apart from that you know after um, after my 13th year and we moved to Bangladesh every couple of years I would move I would be I would be up. And on the road, so to speak, you know, whether whether it would be um, to boarding school in Australia or to music school in in, um, in Washington D.C. I went to the the famous uh, Duke Ellington High School Performing Arts in um, in Georgetown, and uh, where I studied music and. Uh, Kind of focused on for a long time uh, being a performing artist and performing musician, uh, becoming the the greatest bass player in the world was my.
1: Oh, uh, please, please come on! I, I've already heard this story, but I love it. If you don't mind sharing the the story of you know the the bass guitar story that you told me about.
0: Oh well, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I I don't know. I don't know where to um, where to begin. Um, essentially, you know, my 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 father. Um, was was hard up for musicians in Papua New Guinea, as you can might imagine. Um, and my brother is a, is is a, is a, apart from being a very very um, well known marine biologist and and scientist and uh, conservationist, is also one of the one of the most talented um, drummers musicians. You know, studied with. Um, my parents were living in Belize, very, very young. He, he, he's my older brother, and, and they, uh, he studied with some of the masters of Belizean drumming. And so he, from a very, very young age, um, knew all the shamanic drumming and this crazy stuff that, uh, that he, he le- later on passed to me. And so my, my, my dad needed a bass player, basically, and said, you're, you're, you're playing bass. And so that was me. And so we had a family band. Um, and um, and then I was in in boarding school. Um, I was uh, I didn't do so well in Bangladesh. It was kind of an intense country for me. Um, lots of um, lots of poverty, and 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 I was feeling very isolated. You know, um, from I think from 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 my values and from something that was very grounding and I didn't do so well. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't doing so well in that environment. Um, I was spending a lot of time in, uh, in the slums. I would, I would go after school and go and hang out with, um, you know, friends and we would just basically spend time in all the wrong places. (laughs) Uh, and, and, and basically, you know, spend time out of the, the system, the American school system, which was mm. there. And, and, um, and so my, my parents, you know, found it necessary to send me off to boarding school and they sent me to a, a very sort of tough Anglican grammar school in, <laughs> in Brisbane, Australia, um, where, um, after a while I've I found myself uh, essentially, you know, attracted to music, and music essentially saved my saved my life. Uh, it was it was and is mainstay of my of my you know existence. It's something that really um, really was a big focus for me for for many years, and um, and I went on to study professionally at the um Rotterdam Conservatory in Holland and and um and study to be a professional musician um and that uh, that's where my interest in performance and the kind of you know high state of performance and um that whole thing came about
1: yeah so so let's let's like bring that story then up to date because um and I have we could we could really talk about you know your childhood and and perhaps your youth years we could spend that all the time like that you're one of the most interesting people i've met uh, in that respect you know but i i'm curious then like bringing that up to date how do you end up being in barcelona working as a Hitler, hypnotherapist and coach yeah so um
0: as i found myself in rotterdam in it was 2000 and uh, end of 2008 um my mother had passed away and my dad had, had passed away a couple years before um both from cancer and i'd i'd been going through quite some you know emotional issues dealing with the grief from that and i found myself you know in a high performance situation where I was working with um, where I was, I was having students, I was studying myself. I was playing in about five different bands. I was um, also recording a recording artist and, and I was trying to have a social life and I was, you know, and I was meditating. I, I began to meditate. So I was kind of like doing spiritual type of seeking. I didn't realize what it was at that time. And it was a, kind of a perfect storm, um, because I found myself late one night in a, in a studio in Amsterdam, uh, recording a, a, a particular track and, and I injured my hand. Um, it, um, one of my fingers, you know, kind of felt the sharp pain and I was unable to continue working and, and, and this, this continued to, um, get worse and worse. I became more and more stressed. Um, I didn't know what was happening. Uh, I was obviously going through some form of depression as well, as you might imagine, um, still grieving, and and I basically took a break. I said, "Look, I'm going to go to Barcelona, and I'm going to find um, I'm going to find a, a place where I can chill out." In Barcelona, there was a there is a, a place where they work. Almost specifically with musicians um, in the healing these types of injuries, and so I, I basically spent wow, I must have spent six to eight months of doing these strange exercises and hooked up to machines and and going everywhere in thousands of euros, and nothing changed. I was as you know in in as in as much um, sort of physical pain as I was before and probably now with even more emotional stuff and and I didn't know what was what was what was going on. And essentially I I had a session with a with a hypnotherapist online with a friend or colleague or, or, or someone that um, someone that I knew back then um, and he basically did a smoky cessation session with me um stop smoking session using hypnosis because I because I was quite a heavy, heavy smoker at that time uh and almost immediately I I quit smoking and although I'd always been very um skeptical of hypnosis and the process of hypnosis it seemed to me kind of fantastical and and even though i'd been practicing meditation and had many sort of experiences with the mind um, it was incredible to me that uh, that i could that you could affect this kind of change so rapidly and he taught me a a very simple self hypnosis technique which i i applied um, and i applied it to to myself in self healing and the truth is, within within a very short time, all the symptoms of this um, this injury went away, and I was able to play um, again. And uh, so it was almost miraculous. Um, the effects were miraculous, and, and the miracle was that it happened. Um, but what I realized that actually there was there was more to this experience of working with the deeper parts of yourself um, and it was it was amazing to me and and I began I began studying um, things such as uh, hypnosis NLP um, and sort of related fields uh, to in order to work not only with myself in my in my sort of personal development kind of work but but also to work with my Music students, my coaching students, because uh, I was coaching essentially doing coaching um, before I knew what I was doing. I was coaching people with things like stage fright um, with things like um, you know anxiety and and uh, things around performance and high high performance situations and and I was just trying these techniques out on them, and then after some point, I said, "Wow, you know, this is this is something I really, I really enjoy doing. I, I really, you know, beyond the music, it's something that I'm good at, and it's something that I really find a lot of joy um, on many levels, and, it, and it, um, it's something that." pushes me and, and so, so I went off to st- sort of quote unquote I'm doing air quotes here study study properly and and so I you know I, I traveled um, and and spent a lot of time and, and, uh, and money you know getting training and proper NLP training and, and hypnosis training and clinical hypnotherapy in the UK and um, did, did a long very long... NLP hypnosis training of about uh, 10, 11 months it was, um, which is quite long for one of these trainings, <laughs> if, you, if you know. Um, and very, very great uh, great teachers. And essentially I learned the therapeutic aspect of, of working. and um, Because one, one of the things that I found out was that not only did a lot of my clients have issues around performance and and But they also had other things that um, they tried with many psychologists, many, um, you know, even psychiatrists, and and using using, uh, drugs, um, psychopharmaceuticals, and I realized that in a very short time that you could affect powerful change in people and that it would last and that they would know how to do it themselves and that they would, they would kind of not need you anymore. And I love that. I just loved. I love that. I still love that. Um, and it, and so what happened was that as I kept on working with people, I started coaching a wide variety of people who started, um, started just, asking me for coaching, and then, and then I started a, a, a hypnotherapy business. I, I started working in my capacity as a therapist, as a therapist working around um, things that people commonly go to a hypnotherapist for, such as stop smoking and stuff, um, but also um, addictions, other addictions, um, such as um, alcohol and cocaine addictions, um, quite heavy Uh, situations and substances and and um yeah and and i find myself you know that's still a big part of my work here in in barcelona but i do um the coaching aspect of it has also taken off and and working in more performance capacity with people that are really really interested in in not just fixing not therapy but um but real change and transformation.
1: Cause I'm curious out of that, um, like how do those two, what's the relationship, you know, between hypnotherapy and coaching? Like, does everybody who comes for hypnotherapy get coaching Are you? Are you a hypno, uh, hypnoth- hypnotherapist who also coaches? Are you a coach that uses hypnotherapy as a tool? I mean, what's the relationship between the two?
0: Yeah. So it's a really, really good question. And, um, when I first began, I I saw no difference between the two. And then I got training. And and then I realized, wow, there's some real skills, there's some real abilities and some frameworks, ways of working with people that really make sense to me, that really make sense only when you come from a therapeutic point of view, uh, a therapeutic pram- framework where a lot of coaching – doesn't doesn't really make sense, and and what I mean by that is, um, and, and I'm not I'm not big on the idea of people as being broken, or or uh, having people think that they're in some way um, need constant fixing, but there are certain things about, in my experience, the psychology that um, that really benefit from a specific skill set. And you can think of it as as imagine that a boat has has uh, holes in in the hull and is taking water. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to set that boat on a long journey towards some you know fantastic destination if there's if there's real damage to the structure of the the vehicle and so that takes a specific kind of skill set and when that boat is seaworthy um it can go anywhere and then it really makes sense to let you know put down the tools the mindset of therapy and really focus on generative um, real coaching change, and and I'm sure a lot of people can see that these these things overlap.
1: Well, you know, so uh, at the time of us recording this, I'm I'm a little bit of a tennis fan, right? So, um, the the, the great British tennis player Andy Murray has just recently um, announced that he's going to retire. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it, it's not of his choosing; it's down to injury. And of course, like tennis players, most tennis players have a coach to help them, um, you know, play at their best and to improve their game. And yet, you know, physically, and I dare say also emotionally, but physically, we can see that something can happen with their body. Like he's having to retire actually because he had a hip operation, and he's, you know, unfortunately, he he's realizing that he can he just can't play through the pain and whatever. It hasn't worked out, but you know, fortunately, there are many. Um, Sports people that have you know injuries that perhaps do need surgery and then they recover from so the analogy there looks like perfect to me like I might have something going on which perhaps some particular therapy be it hypnosis Mm -hmm. that might help me fix in quotes right and yet there's still a benefit then going forward to coaching that sounds that just seems to make complete sense to me in that respect oh absolutely
0: yeah and and um, you know I'm working currently with uh, one of the top ten. Cyclists in the world, and you know um, this is something that you know the skills of hypnosis and hypnotherapy um, work with particular physical things, but also work with the mindset of of um, of being able to. To, you know, push through long, grueling rides at the end of the thing, and and the fact is, there's a good reason why you know the Russian Olympic team travel with um, ten hypnotists. You know, there's a reason why they've they they carry these uh, these skills as as an integral part of their 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 work. It's 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 not voodoo science. It's it's real practical psychology. And um, for me, I think it's very, very important that at least co- coaches have, have an interest, at the very least, yeah. at how language and, and focus can influence. I'm not going to say control, but I will say influence experience. Um and when that's when that's kind of clear then then you know people can decide whether or not they want to go deeper down the proverbial rabbit hole. But um I think it's I think it's very useful. And even if people don't believe that hypnosis um exists, there's even you know, there's even there's even people that don't don't even think that it exists as a as a phenomena. Um, the effects certainly
1: do <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> and i I was kind of wondering you know um when I was you know thinking about us having having this conversation I, was, I I wanted to ask you like, are there any particular types of behavior that perhaps can't be helped or changed by hypnotherapy i mean
0: um, so behaviors so one of the things is that. Um, you know, when you come from a psychological point of view, from a, from a like a psychology like from the system and I use the system, the big big S system, you know, the medical system um, there are, there's narcissistic personality disorder, which is um, which is a collection of traits of ways of uh, interacting with your world that comes from certain pathologies. Um, this particular condition, disorder, if you want to call call it, is, is difficult to work with because um, often people don't see that they have a problem to begin with and so they wouldn't in, undergo hyp, hypnosis which is essentially a collaborative process, and so it's very difficult to affect that until um, until people have that sort of insight, because fundamentally um, it's a problem of lack of insight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that's very difficult to work with, and people that have narcissistic and and I'm not saying it's impossible, and uh, you know by any means. But any psychotherapy, any psychotherapist will tell you that it's very difficult to work with. Um, and hypnosis is an adjunct to traditional psychotherapy, so it can be used with anything that works to amplify it and make it faster and work deeper and embody it in much, um, in much more, let's say, complete and holistic ways. Um, yeah, so, so that's how that's that's how I see it. Um, so so narcissists, narcissistic personality disorder is, so, of is very very difficult, and there's a lot of habits that happen around that, such as high risk sexual behavior, um, you know, lying, stealing, and and all the rest of it. Um, psychopaths, you know, I wouldn't work, you know, people that have psychopathy are real real, um, you're difficult to work with. you know but um i'm i i really love working with um difficult to work cases i love it when psychiatrists and people send me their cases that they found it very very difficult to work with because i know that there are certain things that have been proven to work that have worked for many people and certainly have the have the potential to work for this person so when somebody comes in my office you know um, while i don't you know guarantee anything as there's no guarantees in life i'm, I'm very confident that that they will see changes
1: and, and oh curious about this because i i often have this discussion um with clients particularly new clients um to I ask basically people to show up with what I call undefended openness. So mm-hmm. um, they're showing up, they're open, you know, there's, they're not holding anything back. But they're also, whether we can ever really be undefended is up for debate, but to notice when we're feeling defensive and to be open about that because there's no point in hiring a coach if you're not willing to see things differently, okay? And so I can understand where people with... Um, you know as you describe um, narcissistic personality disorder those kind of attributes though I can imagine that those that people who see the world that way are not willing to actually to look at the world or indeed themselves particularly different if I don't think I'm doing it i don't I don't need to change then i I'm not going to be open to change right yeah so where specifically do you think that hypnotherapy can help with that where just perhaps pure coaching might not
0: so one thing that hypnotherapy is very, and hypnosis is very good at, is having people have certain experiences, states of emotion or mind that come from being able to adopt different perspectives or seeing different realities. And, and not just seeing it cognitively in your mind, but actually being able to take you to that place. So, um, for example, a smoker, smokers are the people that are most divorced from the reality of their habit of, of, you know, one of the people that are most divorced from the reality of what they're doing to themselves and potentially, you know, the people around them. So, um, you know, I could just say to a smoker, like, you do know, don't you, that two out of three smokers are going to die of smoking related diseases. You do know, don't you, that one out of ten people that have died today on the planet has been because of smoking-related diseases. And they'll go, well, yeah, I can cognitively understand that, but, you know, I want to fag. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I enjoy smoking, and they'll tell you you that. Even though, you know, objectively, they don't. Um, Now... What hypnosis will do is that will can take you an experience, one type of experience, to take you into a future where you're actually able to see the almost inevitable end of that path, where you are immersed, seeing through your eyes, having that experience of being in a hospital bed, surrounded by your family sobbing uh, and... You know, frail body, the doctor telling you, sorry, sir, you know, um, all we can do is give you pain medicine. You should have stopped when I told you to quit. Um, And then bringing those learnings back into the present and then having them really recognize that the choice to quit is as easy as saying, yeah, I'm I'm not giving anything up. Um, there's no value in this for me. It's 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 just the right choice to simply remain a non-smoker. Mm. Yeah. So in a, in in a in a situation with somebody that has some of these personalities traits, and if if indeed there is the person the possibility of them recognizing or having the compassion for those around them, having them have the experience of experiencing their behaviors from another person's point of view or being able to have them go into um, a reality where, you know, they're, they're essentially experiencing the pain, the suffering that will inevitably stem, stem from, from un, unwholesome or, or nasty behavior towards people around them. <laughs> You know, because people are genu- generally um, self-interested in, in many ways, and you, that's, that's okay. I think so- enlightened self-interest um, can be used to say, look, even if you're a psychopath, you know, your, uh, your, your experience of life is not going to be really fun um, behind the prison, you know, behind bars if you head down this, this road. Yeah. Um, so that that might be one way mm. <laughs> that hypnosis can.
1: Yeah. So Ryan, let's talk about like your challenges. What has been the biggest challenge you know over the last, since you lost your parents? Um, aside from that, into mm. to build this career that you have now, what's what's been the biggest challenge in that?
0: Well, you know my my own. Personal development. So when I talk about uh, personal development, and I'm also talking about, um, you know, I've had a daily meditation practice, quite intense meditation practice, uh, and i say intense in intensity, not in um, sort of grueling, difficult work. Although there has been difficulties, um, has been quite steady and has been quite, um, quite. Deep and serious, in the best of in the best of uh, in the best of you know ways of looking at it. And I've had over the over the years several experiences um, where I've essentially. And you can call it these awakening experiences, transpersonal sort of experiences. You can look at these in different ways. But um these are experiences where my entire idea who I I am and I was and my life um were radically shifted. Radically changed, radically um sort of blown out and 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 so what happens is that you know when you're you when that happens to you um there's almost inevitably a, a a fallout from that whether that be you know, psychologically, you need time to integrate that experience into your life. You need time to make sense of it, um, make sense of your life and the relationships, and the your path in life and your choices in life, and even things such as diet and and um, and so what happens is if you're running a business and you're juggling bunch of things, it can, it can be very difficult to maintain that because, um, those things seem very unimportant to your immediate experience. And so we all know, I mean, many people know the story of Eckhart Tolle, um, the author of, uh, Power of Now fame, um, who, who was, uh, who basically had one of these experiences almost spontaneously. Um, One night when he was about to commit suicide, and he was basically having this experience where he recognized that the person that he thought he was was indeed just a thought, was just a concept. And that experience, in his case, led to him sitting on a park bench, yeah. and and um, having these internal experiences but also a lot of peace and clarity and things that s- used to hold a lot of importance for him no longer did and and that particular kind of experience has happened to me in various forms over my journey um, even all the way back in 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 Holland, when I was uh, studying as a as a uh, as a musician, and um, in a way, I think that it has been some of the most difficult things for me personally uh, to to manage, and it's also been some of the most rewarding and and some of the most powerful thing when it comes to my coaching. And my work with people because I do know now from my own experience what is possible um, for people and also a lot of the pitfalls to avoid.
1: Yeah, so I wonder if you can make that a little less abstract for us and a bit more real and perhaps give us some, you know, maybe some examples if you're willing to share.
0: Yeah. You mean you mean uh, uh, things that actually
1: happened? Yeah, or at least sure. look like they happened. <laughs> or at least looked
0: like they happened. Yes, indeed. So, um, I uh, I went through a period where I was um, I was I was um, watching a lot of uh, uh, videos of a of a non-dual teacher um, called Muji um, Tony Mu, who is a Nondual quite a well-known non-dual dual Teacher um, in the Advaita tradition, um, Advaita Vedanta, Indian tradition. Now he's a he's a um, Jamaican guy from Brixton, but um, he's also made big um, made a big impact on the world of sort of modern spirituality in the line of teaching of a very particular I- Indian teacher named Punjaji. and. Um, and he teaches this one very specific style of uh, self-inquiry. And so for a long time, I, I would just watch these videos. I would sit on my couch, and I would kind of hang out with this wisdom. And that's what they call like satsang. And and I would and I would explore and I would do these exercises and and um, and that was something that I would do. So um, I had a, one day. I had to get an operation, a particular operation, assist removed from 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 my lower back, and and uh, I was taken into a hospital here in Barcelona. And for the days prior to this operation, I felt this sort of foreboding or sort of thing of something that was going to happen, some some sort of thing, precognition, call it what you may. And and so I went into this experience and I had the thought, wow, you know, this is going to be kind of painful and it's going to be kind of annoying, but hey, you know what, I'm just going to surrender. I'm just going to let it happen, this whole experience of the operation. And... Little I didn't know, I didn't know what was happening, but I was having this experience of surrender, just absolute surrender. And a part of me, after I had that operation, I opened my eyes in this hospital room, and something had changed. Um... And I wasn't on on like a lot of medication. <laughs> They're very terribly bad with analgesics here in Spain. They give you like the lowest. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in pain. Um, but uh, but I know something something had happened, and, and there was a quality of experience. And so I found myself um, again, you know, convalescing on my. I was you know kind of taking it easy on my couch. I had a I had a week off off work. I was training language training at that point, and I was. Um, and I was kind of watching these moochi videos and, and suddenly everything he said was almost as if I was, it was me saying it. Um, it was something that was so true, so absolutely um, coming from my own very experience to the point where there was no me having this experience. It was just... Experience, and I remember walking up the street to go get my get my wounds dressed at the hospital here, getting some outpatient uh, care, and having this very profound um, experience of a state of uh, absolute peace, of absolute. Um, love, of oneness, of all of these, these words that describe a, an experience of real completeness and, and beauty and just connectedness. And, and, wow, this was amazing. And I thought, wow, you know, I've made it. This is it. This is where I want st- to I want to stay here for the rest of my life. Oh yeah. I want to I want to hold on to this and this is where I'm going to live and, and immediately almost as if I'd as if somebody had heard me say that uh you know the moment I get thought that had that thought I was propelled out of it. Um you know and, and although it lasted for quite sometime the 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 effect and something has never really changed um from that particular experience one of the things i noticed is that that state changed that experience changed um and i had to integrate that into my life somehow it was one of those things where nothing the job that i had didn't make sense the kind of work that it didn't make sense, although I found myself doing it with absolute love and and uh, and focus and contentment, um, I realized that uh, I was really I was really focused on on sharing this experience with the world in whatever way in whatever way I could, and it was very difficult to do that with music. It's very difficult to do that with um with a lot of the coaching things that I had been doing I've been doing some training some business training and I just felt like that was really boring for me and it was really tedious and but just quite easily and naturally like this state of recognition let's say became just who I, who I am, you know, and that still informs all of my work, and it's, you know, I don't say it to people, I don't say, look, I'm spiritual, and this is the kinds of weird experiences that you're going to have if you head down this route of, uh, of inquiry and learning, but, you know, it is it is a part of me, and and. I don't hide it, but I also don't broadcast it to the world.
1: And, and maybe this touches on, perhaps we might make this our final subject, given the, given, the, uh, given the time, but I'm sure there's many people listening that will relate to that kind of experience. Like, uh, and, and I see this phrase used a lot, uh, where some people have some kind of experience. It might be that they've sat in a workshop and listened to uh, a preacher, in quotes, um, a teacher, um, or yeah, they might have had some even a near-death experience anything in between and from that experience a new thought arises which has some meaning which we we often hear this term band around like the true self mm-hmm. now to me what it looks like is if you can have that experience once you can probably have a variation of that experience again Mm -hmm. And what you saw that first time could look anything from subtly different to completely different the second time. Mm -hmm. So what you now think is your true self would then look like, well, no, that actually, that's just something I thought was true. Now my latest experience is like true self version two or three or 3,276. Yeah. So to me, It looks most helpful for people to realize that, that that's what's going on, that we have some kind of experience, thoughts arise, meaning is created. Mm -hmm. And I kind of question, what the hell is this true self that everyone's referring to other than yet another idea, yet another concept? Yeah. What's your your take on all of that? So
0: I... I hate to be the, the guy that says, um, I think a lot of people that are saying, you know, we're pointing you to your true self, um, you know, that's either a way in, a sneaky way in to this idea that there is no true self, in which case it's a marketing mm-hmm. game. Sorry to say. Um, Or what they mean by true self is something else. It's not a thought. It's not a concept. And truth is something that cannot be put into an experiential box, cannot be objectified in any way. And so this is where the beauty of reals self-inquiry is is that the the answer that comes in words or sounds or or thoughts ain't it and that's hard to see so but it's also hard to hard to market Mm. so it's hard for people to express also because words are just pointers to an experience, you know the, the Zen masters talk about the finger pointing at the moon. Don't look at the don't look at the finger, look at the moon. And people tend to look at the fingers and the words, and um, the words are all we have because there is only experience and the description of experience. And the pointers, and I totally get that. and and you know, so if people talk about truth and true self and um, they're really they're really talking about what's true for them in the moment. and you can accept that a person's realization, or a person's depth, or to use in the three principles, world grounding, um, is is deep enough, or realized enough, or true enough, to sort of reflect that to you. Or you can take that entire experience as another signposter uh, on, on the way to your own authentic, um, your own authentic experience. In my, in my own experience, it's useful to have teachers. It's useful to have, um, have as many people on your side, let's say as possible, but it's also recognized, it's also recognizing that, um, that there are also other things at play and often those things that are at play when there are teachers teaching a particular thing is getting more students, getting more clicks, likes, followers, and eventually people seats in their workshops, Mm. coaching
1: programs, Mm. and so on. Mm. Ryan, just really finally, anybody listening to this who's perhaps in their first couple of years in this profession um, what's your what's like your single message to them
0: um, to on, on one hand develop skills so work with people don't get certified to then wait ten years to become a coach start coaching because that's what coach does. Coaches and painter paints, and coach coaches. Um, and on the other hand, really, really be brutally honest as much as you can about your own level of um, your own level of development, your own level of understanding, your own level of self-deception because that's going to be the one thing that stops you from both excelling as a successful coach or 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 whatever baseball player chewing gum seller or whatever you choose to do and also it's going to be the one thing that um that stops you from having real powerful in, uh, impact on your clients and and also your own happiness and your own well-being, which is which is I think um, fundamental. And 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 the other thing I, th- I would say, um, part of that is, if you keep those two things in mind, um, don't burn yourself out. I see so many coaches um, burnt. Um, after the first year and and doing other things when i think that 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 you know the the coaching profession is really it's really starting off i don't think that the match the market is saturated oversaturated i think it's just really in its early stages so you know i'm optimistic yeah
1: cool really fascinating always talking with you ryan so thank you very much for your time today Well, that wraps up another wonderful episode of the Coaching Life podcast. I always love talking with Ryan. He's very reflective during our conversations. And it was also fascinating to hear how he came across the power of hypnotism through dealing with his own injury and how he now incorporates that skill into his work and into his coaching and indeed how he brings those two things together, coaching and hypnotism. I just I just found that absolutely fascinating. And of course, that story of coming across our current work through our own journey of discovery and healing. Feeling, that's not unusual at all is it so once again i'd love to hear from you regarding this or indeed any other of the episodes of this podcast what's your one thing you're going to take away and use from listening to this conversation please do reach out and drop me a line you can contact me at phil at or find me on facebook via fbphil.com Please also do share these episodes with your community so that others may get to enjoy them too. That makes such a huge difference to helping grow the audience of this podcast. And I've got a great bunch of guests lined up, so do please keep listening. Thank you once again for listening, and thank you to those of you who have contacted me with some great feedback about this podcast, and I wish you all much love and joy.